As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We have survived another week, just barely, I feel like, sometimes. <laughs> it is February 5th. Thanks for joining us for Take Two. Greg Hughes is in the house, and Scott Howell. Thanks so much for being with us, gentlemen. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here with Love you, Heidi. Love being here. Scott, <laughs> have you done this before? Have you been on Take Two on the podcast like no, this? No, I haven't. This, this is his this first, first time experience. here. So you're a noob. Take Two version. He's a noob. <laughs> yeah. So Heidi, don't take advantage of me. We got the okay. newbie. <laughs> I heard you two hung out earlier in the week, though, so we you did. may have we used have. up all your good fights. But yeah, we're in high demand, oh, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. It's Super we got to sign a new contract, yeah, Greg. We got to right. renegotiate. Go get an agent. <laughs> we should get on it. Um, so this is not on our list of topics I send out to you, gentlemen. But this morning I sent, spent my day being a mom because Fridays is homeschool day. And my son's trying out for the soccer team. So we had to jump through the hoops of the test uh, Utah or play to test kind of thing. I think if you're in the system correctly, it works really well. I was not mom of the year today, and it took us so many hours. So I'm coming to work being like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the relaxing part of my day. So, whoo, we made it through that. So well, glad how to awful be was it? I mean, really, was it, it, it was it so awful that you couldn't get navigate through? Because I've heard uh, different things, and Fridays is when you have virtual. Yeah, so we're schools, at home, right? and yeah. I knew that we had to be there at 945, and here's my admittal that, I think if we had been to meetings, I would have known what to do. But my son told me after, they have these open practices before oh, they have tryouts where yeah. you go for a few weeks and you play probably so the coach can really see how you play. Right. My son didn't tell me till we were a couple weeks in, so I signed up late, probably didn't hear all the instructions. <laughs> and um, so we went and did the COVID testing for the first time today after we've been to a couple practices and they're like, you're not on the list. So I signed up for an app. I signed up through the being in athletics and finally we figured out that there was some place to actually sign up for the testing. So once you actually do what you're supposed to do, super slick process, they shove it up your nose, you're in, you're out in a couple that of minutes. That thing's like a yardstick. I mean, I'm telling you, the thing is so long. I just, I've seen, I've seen video My of this. My son said these are like shorter yardsticks though. You he want, felt like he, they didn't scratch his brain this you time. Wanna, you want to, you want to motivate people to take precautions. Let them watch one of those things on YouTube and you're just going to do whatever it takes to never have that have thing it. up your, I mean, it, go, it keeps going. It's, have it's you had horrible. It done, uh, I've had the pleasure of six times, uh, Ooh, but yeah, probably right. the most intense was uh, for the vice president's debate. I feel the same. Remember, I, you, 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 you had to do it go, yourself. Yes. They kept telling you higher, uh, higher. Yeah, yeah. And it's like self-inflicted brain Braves? scratching. It was. Oh. Meanwhile, we got a fly running around the place. I mean, everybody's getting tested. You know, all everything's getting tested, but then they got a fly with who knows what that fly's been sitting on, just crashing the well, presidential debate. I got to tell you, Heidi and I had a great experience because we talked about it after. It's, it was like the Olympic Phil. It, it really was. was. It was. There, you know what? It there was. was a buzz to it for sure. Even yeah. from watching it on television and seeing it all getting oh, ready, it and was, it was, it, was there was a buzz. Even in downtown for the day of it. Was. I know. And speaking of that, Scott Hall is BFFs with Kamala Harris now. So have you guys been hanging out now that she's an actual VP? <laughs> no, no uh, she's kind of forgotten who Scott Hall is. I mean, oh, it's, it's no, still, uh, no, See, that's no, what no. They do, uh, Scott. That's the Democrats for you. They just they're just gonna leave you high and dry. I'm here to tell you. I'm gonna no, help you. It's I'm gonna been help good. You through. Her, and you know what? I, I'm kind of happy having them leave me alone. 
alone for a little while. I thought I was done after the campaign. Then I got thrown in the middle of the inauguration. Well, it was crazy. Hey, it's a, I mean, so this is exciting, really though. the first couple of weeks since I've been able to get back to my business. But uh, Heidi, it, it, when we were up there, uh, there was this small incident where one of my friends uh, really was quite rude. And uh, I had to go back and slap him a few times and say, <laughs> do you know who Heidi Hatch is? That's right. Do you the know who this watched woman News program. We in did talk the, about no, it. No, and I'm serious. I told them that, and uh, I said, "Oh, we're so sorry with this, this, this." And I said, "Sorry's not going to cut it because you don't know what you just missed." And if I, you listen to the podcast, you know that Pete Buttigieg uh, ditched me. But the fun thing is, is that he had a great interview with me when he was here campaigning for president himself. So why he did not want to play with me again, I have no idea because I think I'm awesome. <laughs> has he got has he, now? He's a secretary transportation. of transportation. Yes. Yeah. I, we, I just hope he doesn't go to Hollywood. That South Bend to secretary <laughs> of transportation is quite the leap. Let's just keep, you know, Greg, keep I'd grounded. be interested in Heidi's opinion. But this was my first uh, experience with him and we spent quite a bit of time together off the chart smart and right. just He's as nice spoken, yeah. nice you could see that he was in oxford cambridge and all of that and just a nice, yeah. nice person. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you can't ascend to what you know to the place he's been right. in as a candidate without having those smarts. So it, it comes across. And I love his military experience. But but if he's going to be rude to Heidi, then you know we're <laughs> we're, we're going to have to work that <laughs> yeah. out. I wasn't quite sure it was him. I'm going to tell you this. I think his people didn't like it. What I love thing. is that, that it was it, like a chick fight. You yeah. know what though? Yeah. It did come out that Scott was back in your play, Heidi. Scott, Scott was, was not was, letting he that was happen. He was he he has Utah's back. He has your back. He has my back. All right. So. If the transportation secretary comes to town, um, send him my way. You got it. All right. I want to talk, uh, while we're talking D.C. right now, a little bit about the $1.9 trillion stimulus. I do want to get to our local issues, but I feel like the stimulus is a local issue. And um, I'm going to start with you, Scott, because um, President Biden is pitching $1.9 trillion, which is a lot of money. Uh, GOP senators, 10 of them on Monday, including Mitt Romney, met with him and said, hey, how about we think about $600 billion? They scaled back um, maybe where the spending was. And then he met again, uh, the president, on Wednesday with Democrats. And it seemed to me after they came out of that meeting, they were like, it's $1.9 trillion bust or more. Is there any room in there to negotiate? Are we spending too much money? Where do you see all of this? Well, to answer both your questions, yes, they're uh, spending way too much money. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're a relative with uh, the good Orrin Hatch, but when I ran against him twice, uh, that was my big issue is being a fiscal hawk. And I am a Democrat. Here, I'll show you the card. You're I a am, card carrying. I am a card carrying. I know. What's going on <laughs> in here? I don't understand <laughs> this podcast <laughs> but, anymore. <laughs> but uh, when does it stop? And we have to pay that money back sometime. And I think there, there has to be a lot of room in there. And I think uh, the president is making mistakes. I really think that he's making big mistakes on what he's doing. And, uh, you know, but what came out of that discussion, all of a sudden Mitt Romney pops out with, well, we're going to do a monthly check to these individuals. And, and I'm like, kind of going, yeah. wait, where are we in politics? But somebody has to pay yeah. the bill. Somebody has to pay the bill. And I have always been a fiscal hawk because the responsibility of it, I think the billions, but the $1.2 trillion, I, I, I just can't see it. It is a lot of money. One thing that I thought was interesting, I want to get to Romney's proposal in a minute, but uh, Romney, when he went in there with 10 senators, they brought in some maps of the United States. I should have sent it to you. Yeah. I had his office send it to me. But 47 states reported um, 
in what their earnings were from 2019 to 2020 of their tax dollars. And 21 of those 47 states, including the state of Utah, were doing better after 2020 than they were the year before. And he's saying we need more targeted spending because it makes no sense to just like give these states a windfall of money that they really don't need. And I think that's the part where I think maybe we might be missing the boat where we're just throwing money, but sometimes throwing money does no good because someone like me, I've had a job, I've been at work every day. Do I want a few thousand in my bank account? Yes, but do I need it? No. Well, this is, I think this is where, and again, I think we're in this season now in the United States where this is where the cynicism of the American people just continues to grow. Uh, during the campaign, the presidential campaign, there was a moral imperative. I watched Wolf Blitzer and CNN actually go after Nancy Pelosi saying, presidential yeah. campaigns aside, what are, we, what are you going to do? Yeah. We need something. We need, there are people that are suffering. We need to get something done. And she's very offended by the pointed questions coming her way. But you saw this sense of urgency uh, from, particularly from the media. But today, I, I do feel like we're talking more about the dollars and, and, and it's fine, but the tone has changed. And, and if we have people in need because the government uh, and this pandemic artificially shut down an economy, that wasn't a normal cycle of a recession. I mean, this is, if the if government's going to make certain decisions that interrupt people's ability to, to earn a living, I do think there's a unique relationship where the government has to help walk that through and see how that ends. We know those circumstances are happening in this country. It should be as high of a priority as it was even during the, the fall, during a presidential mm-hmm. election, and I, and I don't see that as much. And then you get to the point where... Uh, Utah's Senator Mitt Romney, he prided himself of being a fiscal hawk. Yeah, that was he the did. one thing that he said, look, you might not like that I can't stand President Trump, right. but I'm here on the fiscal issues. And then like Santa Claus, I right. mean, just all of a sudden we're going to start spending for a year. We're going to give everybody a certain amount of money. And and I just, I do. I think we've, I think these conversations have changed. I don't think they're uh, being uh, framed the same way they were before. And I think what col- what ultimately happens when we see this, we're observing this, is people roll their eyes. They're like, it's just politics as usual. It's just, you know, we're not going to see the, the gap between $600 billion and $1.9 trillion. That's an ocean of a difference. You know, Greg makes some really salient points uh, in this, especially when we look at the leisure and hospitality industry. And at no fault of their own, like you just said. And that I think that's the role of government. Right. And that is to give that helping hand, not a handout. And so I, I think, but you, it has to end somewhere. Heidi, your, grand, your, your kids and your grandkids and my grandkids, they're going to be paying for this. And It's scary. It is scary. It is. And I think the thing is, is if you dial it back to your own budget, whether you live on a budget or not, or you just spend till the money's gone, we all know that there's limits of what we can spend. Right. And at some point you can right. only put so much on right. a credit card. And if you look at that on a grander scale of government, I, I wish our elected leaders would look at it in the same way they would yeah. look at their own family budget where you wouldn't be spending all this money you knew you couldn't spend back. It just doesn't – it doesn't feel good. It feels I, scary to me. I had something really interesting. I posted about this on social media, and I had a couple of, quote, economic leaders uh, say, Scott, quit saying that because you don't understand. The stimulus, it, it, when we get the money out there, the dollars will come back, the revenues will come up. I and I, I, I got, well, I, I'm not an economist, but yeah. I'm simple enough to know that when I'm out of X, then that's going to end it and nobody's going to help me. But I, there is that philosophy out there of some ec- economists that say, you don't understand the bigger picture, that if we get the money out there, they're going to go buy this or buy that, and it's going to stimulate and it'll come back roaring 
but I, I, I just don't see that. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I think both have tried. Look, it, it's it's a strange world when economists are pointing to supply side economics, <laughs> right. starting with the government funding it all, and then watch the supply side happen. And it's, we'll it's still a bizarre keep world. Spending at Amazon, but not <laughs> at the resort. Las Vegas. And it's like, who's going on a cruise? Yeah. That's yeah. what I yeah. want to know. So, who's taking their money? So, so the pain still yeah. remains where the pain is. Right. Yeah. I don't think they understand what supply side is supposed to mean at that point. But look, if you see, but look at the other side of it. If you see tax cuts, if they want supply side right. leave the money in the right. household let people yeah. keep more of what they make they will spend they do they need to i i honestly think and we've you said it too scott where government has stopped artificially halted uh, a restaurant owner's ability to to have customers or whatever and and for the best of right. reasons i mean, I mean right. we can have that debate that's a different debate but i'm going to say when the government comes and interrupts commerce and economic activity that is not the same as a recession or a downturn or unwise decisions a business owner may make. And I do think that there, you have to, when you decide to do that, you better know how that's supposed to walk its right. way through. So I do think that's targeted. And I think that there is a role when the government gets involved and stops these things, how they help that through. But we know, and we know in Utah from its our, you know, the fiscal analysts, it is not impacting every sector of our economy right. the same way. And so that's why it should be targeted. And inherently, when you target it, you would see that number of, of that kind of aid go down a lot. And I think the stock market is indicative of that. Um, at 3100 today, who would have yeah. thought a year ago when yeah. it was at 1800 And look what it's done, roaring yeah. back. Yeah. If we would all invested in the stock market, we wouldn't be having a conversation. GameStop, that's where the money's oh, at. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, don't be Robin Hood today, though. Yeah, they, got, they got some splaining to do. Before we move on, though, I want to focus on the Romney Family Security Act. I've put in a request to do an interview with him because I really want to understand this a little better because I don't even know if I understand it correctly. But I want to see where you guys stand on this because families could get up to $3,000 a year in financial support per child that's 16 to 17 years old. I think you could get up to $15,000. He says this won't add to the debt and that it would be kind of like a fiscal, Stimulus. you know, yeah. zeroed out. But I don't really understand how that works because to me, yes, you could get a child credit on your taxes when you claim at the end of the year. So maybe you're getting the money right. up front. But a lot of those lower-income families, the way I understand taxes from, you know, filing myself when I was, you know, making $7 an hour, right. you're not paying – you're not really paying the, your taxes. If you make under a certain amount, right. you're not paying out those thousands of dollars. So aren't we still coming up with that money sort of as a gift or stimulus in itself to a lot of these? Well, I think that's what we all feel yeah. uh, thus on this side of the, the conversation. And I, when you get those charts and uh, Mitt explains it to you, I'd be the first one to say – Thank you for explaining it to me, because what it sounds like is it's it's still a stimulus. And when he says it's not going to hurt the debt, well, there's not going to be those dollars going back in to pay off the debt. And so yeah. I think it does hurt the debt, and I think it contributes. So yeah. I, I it's one of those issues that I, I really want to find out more before I make any yeah. ra judgment on it. And I think it could easily get tacked on, because I think Democrats – could essentially just vote this through without any Republican help. And if Democrats oh, yeah. like his oh, idea, yeah. then they could easily tack it on and it's going to happen. You have children. You live in the great state of Utah. Are you thinking, okay, this is good. This will help yeah, the bottom you know, line. No, Murphy's Law, two of my three children are gone. Okay? <laughs> it's like, where have you been? Where have you been when all these kids. rug rats are eating, raiding the pantry, eating all my food? You know, I had some expenses going on. How does your wife Never had any kind of having this help more before. babies now? And <laughs> I know, seriously. Is that the economic stimulus we're talking about here? I got to go get this money? Well, well, let me call her right now. I mean, come say, on. Hey, would you and Greg like to have a romantic moment hey, tonight? You know, I'm looking at the age group, six to 17 years old. 
my youngest is literally 17 years old. Is this a bad joke? I mean, how is this happening now? I mean, come on. I I, I feel but, targeted. I feel. But, but, but think about like Heidi. Is, we have to think about our host. I've been harmed. And our guest, our moderator here. Yeah. She's going to benefit. And you know what? We should support yeah, it. We should support it. For like her. a year. I do have a 15 year old and a 20 year old. Oh, so, well, so I'm like out, out of, kids of the window. Too, with so I'm too old to have more babies, even if they'll pay me money. While we're talking about, do we really need to pay Utahns to have more babies? Is that where we're at in the no, life? No, we're Is doing fine. On? Okay. I, I thought we were kind of in a groove here. I didn't think we needed any kind of stimulus financially to do this. Stimulus in a different way. Yeah. Whoa, dictionary. Okay, I want to talk about money while we're talking about handing out dollars. But uh, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, said yesterday that the president continues to support the canceling of student debt to bring relief to students and families. We're talking up to $50,000. I know everyone feels different about this. Uh, where do you stand on this? Is this a good idea? Will it help our country, or is it still digging a hole of money that we're going to have to pay back someday? The word that I'd say is accountability, and that's what we have to think about. What, what lessons are we teaching here to uh, kids uh, about what that issue is? Before I left, Linda grabbed me and said, I hope you don't support doing away with this. And I said, no, hon, I don't. <laughs> and so, but what I would support is a restructuring of that debt. Of how they pay it? Of how they pay it, exactly. Uh, when I look at some of the terms and conditions on that, and some of the kids who went through private, some went through the state, I mean, federal government, I th and some of them have debt loads of 5 and 6%, and then I see where we are today. Mm -hmm. And I think a restructuring would be something good. But to just totally wipe it all out, I just don't think that sends the right message for anyone uh, that in the future, what, what are they going to expectation? Is it going to be a mortgage? Is it going to be that, oh, man, I overshot my credit cards and, you know, somebody needs help. And, I, and that might sound hard and that might not sound democratic, but what it does sound is accountability for the future of our country and individuals to know. I can work this out, and let's restructure it. That's where I am on that. I think that's the interesting part. You look at it, and we've all you know, gone to school and made that commitment where you either worked right. your butt off and got a scholarship, right. or you know, I would work three right. jobs in the summertime right. and you know, eat you know, nothing but ramen noodles. <laughs> and you did it to make it happen, and then you think about you know, someone else who may have chosen a more expensive education that you couldn't afford and knew you couldn't, and then they get to pay it back, but they still signed on the dotted line like you. Is life sometimes not fair, well, yeah. Greg, and we should just pay well, off the debt? I, I will tell you, there's two parts of this for me. Um, you know, when I was in, going to school, I didn't like to go to public school. I was always trying to ditch class. It always felt terrible to me. I want to go to college, but now you got to pay. Yeah. You got to pay. And, you got, and, and for me, yeah. with a family that cannot pay for my tuition, it was, it was Pell Grants and Stafford Loans, and I had to do that as well as work. And all of a sudden, you're not going to miss classes or semesters yeah. that you're having to pay for or that you're borrowing on. Accountability. So, to your point about accountability, I think it absolutely changes the nature of seeking, you know, a, a higher education because of what you have to do to be able to, to be in that classroom or on that campus. But I'll tell you this, in Utah, we're spoiled. When we look at what it costs for a semester of college yeah. for, you know, institutions of higher learning in Utah, it is so much lower and oh. it is so much more manageable yeah. than what we see in other states. I mean, you can go back to Pennsylvania at Appalachian State, which is not some storied universe it's not a bad place it's 30,000 a semester and and so you it's it's fine for for the Biden administration or others to say look let's forgive debt is anybody looking at the other side of this in terms of the tuition costs at these institutions of higher learning why in the world can those institutions not look closer to the type of education quality education you can get in the state of Utah 
for tuition rates that aren't cheap, but they're manageable. I mean, I, I mean, I would, I would never as a father be able to help my children uh, in, in college uh, the way that I am if I was staring at some of those tuition uh, costs in other states. And so I think that, you know, you got to look at that side of this ledger as well in terms of the cost of higher ed. It's getting Greg, out of control or uh, is out of control. Greg may, uh, and I keep saying he makes a good point. I mean, they're not that good, but they're good. <laughs> I know, uh, you guys right. are way too friendly. <laughs> I know. I know. But, we, but it, talk about a deep dive an, of an industry that needs a wholesale change. That is the industry. Yeah. And if yeah. I was still yeah. in the legislature, I would be so deep into that. Where does that money go? And yep. we do get a bargain here. We Don't do. get me wrong, but it's still expensive. It is. And I just think that when you look at industries that have to go through a whole transition of the way we do it, and do we do, uh, deliver virtual now, and, and, and really where is that line of what we pay uh, uh, professors, and are we getting the ROI? That's, what, that's the accountability yep. on that issue that I just think – we do. And, you know, we also have uh, private institutions here that, again, charge really reasonable rates. And they do. Every kid in the world wants to go to some of our private institutions yeah. here. But there are ways to improve. I remember during the Republican GOP debates, we were talking to Thomas Wright, who'd served yes. on the yes. Board of Higher yep. Education. And I thought it was interesting that he saw ways to structure and maybe make the state institutions work together. And I think he used the example of marketing, where you he can did. have one person who did it for multiple universities. And I know that that would cost jobs. There obviously would be someone, but hopefully we could soak them up and put them other places, but maybe restructure in a way that we could get our students the education they needed and make it more affordable. So I think if we think outside the box, that maybe we can figure out how to make it happen. BTW, that was the best hosted debate and moderators in the history of the state of Utah. The highest rating was on that, and we pulled it off with an individual who had COVID, <laughs> and nobody even awesome. knew it went on that stage. But uh, Greg, I watched him, and he got – if everybody would have watched that, uh, and uh, but those individuals – no, the, the Greg Hughes came through of who the Greg Hughes I know, and not this perception that's out there. Greg was Greg. You are who you are, and I love he, it. He I was. Know, Rod was – and that's you, Heidi and Rod. Boy, they, they were, and what Rod I loved was is, raw. It was it was tough. Oh, and, it was. And and I, but I I embrace that. I yeah. we've talked about that before. It was truly. I I did feel like finally we have a venue here where their shoulder where candidates shoulder to shoulder in that gubernatorial primary could really uh, express their issues and and re really pushed. You were pushing uh, candidates. Well, to they really, asked the, you know answer Scott beyond the help, surface. Scott answers. helped me with that. It was my first debate, so we did some consulting before and had a lot of. Uh, Is that Scott? Is talking. he the one that got that got you get your sharp teeth and your your, your he did. boxing he actually gloves out? Came and... over and would like file my teeth at night. <laughs> oh, for me. that was like his you guys. Goal. You were not. It was just. It but was didn't a tough she one. do an absolutely great job? And the Utah really Debate did. Commission has a lot to learn from that. Trust oh, me. You are kind. We know we do. No, and, there was there. Uh, yeah, it was the, the format was everything. Yep, it was it, really it was, was great. So well, I, I do remember in that when uh, Greg talked about that very issue, Heidi, and uh, so I, I didn't mean to swim out of the lane, but I just oh wanted. we can swim wherever we want on this podcast. <laughs> okay. I do want to go uh, to the Utah Legislature now and talk a little bit about some of those bills. We have a lot uh, going through right now. Uh, one of them would require jail time, hefty uh, fines for porch pirates. I don't know where <laughs> I feel on this because it sucks when someone steals your package. But are we going to find them? Is this going to do any good? What do you think, Scott? Oh, I love Gene Davis. He's <laughs> he's been up there since Greg was born. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so, um, and I'm sure, but for a felony, 
that's a pretty heavy penalty. Uh, I know, especially uh, if they still steal your underwear or whatever you get off yeah, the porch. Yeah, exactly. It's like, give those back. Can but, you but even I think, fit those? I think there d- does have to be law and order on it. And I think what they really should do is everybody be required to put on um, Vivint uh, security system or whatever on there. Because that that's probably the best way to do deterrent, deterrent to them and light it up. But, it, I mean, it can be a problem when you get uh, um, some very valuable stuff, Christmas presents and that, the emotion gets in there. Third degree felony i'm not quite so sure what do you think throw them away yeah, lock, i'm, I'm lock staring them up. i had to put my glasses on to make sure that that yeah that would be a felony um Thir- not, not that i am downplaying <laughs> this the theft of packages that if arrive it's not on your yours, porch don't take it man i'm just gonna say whoever got him to file that bill that must have won one heck of a package that got ripped <laughs> off because this is like i'm surprised that it doesn't say capital offense on there something was on that porch that someone is pretty ticked off at but here's the challenge you've seen Justice reform. You've seen a policymakers, and you've seen this federally, yeah. as well as our state. Got it. We yes. got involved with this in 2015. Uh, there is a severity to a felony that really does change trajectory in your life, your employment, everything that job, you do. Yeah. Everything. And let me tell you, if we think that the word misdemeanor is a light, a light sentence, a class A misdemeanor is pretty, oh, aff- yeah. is pretty serious. I mean, some yeah. of the offenses that are class A misdemeanors, I think, would make the hair on your neck stand up. These are not. Isn't a DUI a class A misdemeanor? It is. is. And and I'm going to tell you that that when you look at those, it is not a class A misdemeanor is is not something that's seen as an infraction. It is a serious, serious crime. So, you know, the idea that we have to enforce people that are stealing from these porches, especially with home delivery happening as much as it is, I can totally concur. To go up to a level, if you were to take some of these class A misdemeanors and put them shoulder to shoulder with with the theft of, of a package on a porch, I think any reasonable per, reasonable person would conclude it doesn't match, and it's it's a little. <laughs> so you just got to get you got to find that right spot where you would want to appropriately find justice and and punish people that would steal from your from your porch. Let's stay in the jail lane, Greg. So yeah. it looks like the legislature may have gotten something wrong about uh, how people bail out. They're looking that again. Yes. Uh, was it screwed up? Should we leave it as is? Talk yeah, to me so about for, this. And for purposes of full disclosure, uh, I am helping uh, the sheriffs this year. I'm oh, on the are. side of angels. You, I'm helping out lobbyist? the sheriffs. Are you well, that you L know. word? I <laughs> think he's lobbyist. got the L word. He's turned into a dirty lobbyist. <laughs> Here's a fact. Anyone listening to the show, I am everybody's foil. Okay, I am the bad guy for everybody, you know, left of center. They all hate my guy. So, and an abundance of caution so they can't cry and yell. I like to think of myself working public policy, but I'll go ahead and file if it means that that's what I'm going to, you know, someone's going to accuse me of. But here's the issue. In uh, law enforcement, there was a bill that was passed with an impressive, with an impressive list of stakeholders that run uh, the gamut of, of the criminal justice system. So you had the judiciary, you had prosecutors, you had law enforcement, you had uh, the defense attorneys, you had indigent defense, you had ACLU, you had, um, I mean, you go down the list. It was, I, I think it was just about everyone. And they said, you know what, and this is the premise that I think is absolutely the reason why the bill passed last year. If you are if you are pulled over for a, a low-level offense, let's say you failed to appear for, you had a speeding ticket in some small town. It didn't make its way into the DMV database. Mm-hmm. Years later, you're driving, you get a ticket, and oh, there's this failure to appear warrant. We would not want, and I, I've never met a single person that would want to see that individual incarcerated in a county jail without the ability to, maybe if their household income, they can't pay bail to lose their employment, to lose their job, and see a trajectory in their lives go so bad on something that's a low level like that. And, and it really is because of their household income and if they could have made bail or not. So there was this collective will with the legislature that they wanted to address that very issue. 
The bill did not become law till October 1st of 2020. But in these four months since that bill has become law, it has truly become the worst of all worlds. You have people with low-level offenses that should have been released on their own recognizance that have sat in jail for a, over a day, a couple days. You've had people that were arrested with, with evidence being pulled out of the home with hidden cameras just tragically in, in children's bedrooms and, and bathrooms. And an hour and 50 minutes before they're left out, they're, they're let out on what they call an unsecured bond. You know what an unsecured <laughs> bond is? It's a pinky swear. You sign, yep. I promise yep. I will be Pay really, this. really good if you let me out of here. And and so think about victims. Think about, you know, the people that should, for purposes of public safety, not have an hour and 50 minutes there and a, and a pinky swear to get out versus someone in a low-level offense that's in there for over a day. So it's it was having unattended consequences where every one of those stakeholders that supported the bill last year, none of them think that this law is delivering as advertised. Now, there's different ideas of what we should do next, but a bill passed the floor today, Representative Schultz and the House passed a bill that says we're going to repeal that bill, but with the absolute intention on the record and with getting the stakeholders together to understand like a black box in a plane that would crash, why was this bill uh, misinterpreted or why was, why was its implementation uh, so faulty? Why did that happen? And once you figure out why, now you know how to build the bill. So you have everybody that wants to get this right. Nobody's happy with the status quo, but it in criminal justice system, it is there is a human toll when you get these types of things wrong. Oh, yeah. And we got to get it right. And so I was very happy to see it over two thirds of the house concur, get that bill through. But make no mistake, this isn't a, a repeal to go back to a status quo. Right. Um, but this is a, a re- we're resolved and they are resolved to see that this is done the right way. So, Scott, is this how it should work if they messed it up to do it again? Or did they rush it through last time and well, naughty, naughty? Well, w- what happens, the emotions get so high up there on Capitol Hill that when the in people in leadership, uh, like Greg and I both were, you keep saying, what's the unintended consequences? And people don't slow down enough to see what it could be. But this is a perfect example of democracy working, and they, we made a mistake, and guess what? We're going to go back and rectify. We will go back, and we will rectify what has happened. And that's what I love about our, our system here. But it takes courage, and it takes leaders. Um, in full disclosure, I'm a lobbyist. I've been yep. for about, I don't know, the last uh, 10 years or Hanging whatever. Hanging out with two dirty lobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just but but the, the role of someone, the invaluable uh, historical uh, uh, things that Greg has learned over the years, made this happen so it can correct it. And no, it, it, yeah, it, it, it was a bill that probably it, nobody thought about those unintended consequences, went back up, and uh, wh- whoever group is Greg was with, they did the right thing. And two-thirds, uh, Heidi, that's a big vote. That is a big vote. Uh, one thing that we've been looking at, too, there were some committee meetings last night and moving into d- today some more votes. Uh, we've got a lot of police reform yeah. bills on yeah. tap. We've got 84, 162, 38, 13. There's probably more. Uh, there's data reporting. We're looking at mental health, health training of police dogs, a lot of them. Is there one that rises to the top to you where, like, if we have to pass something, this is really where the focus should be? The one that I, I that comes to mind for me is to have more mental health workers engaged, uh, to be go out, uh, to be with officers and let them uh, you do their magic of what they what they've been trained to do and i like that bill a lot because i think that's probably something that we've been messing over the years is having that mental health social worker whatever 
right there with the public safety officer. Uh, I saw the nine-year-old girl. We all saw that uh, back in uh, Ohio who, you know, they handcuffed her and then they pepper sprayed her. And there, there's just too many. And then the guy who got shot, the 13-year-old kid, police yeah, officer. Young autistic boy. Here yeah, young talk. autistic mm-hmm. boy. And so I think that's a wise move is to have those mental health. And look, I want to say this right now. I am 110% against defunding the police. And a card carrying, I, I'm going to have to pull out my credentials. I know, here seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I am about reform. And reform would be to take those dollars and invest that in some mental health issues. Chief Tom Ross uh, out in Bountiful, uh, and now he's the CJ, what CCJJ. Is it? CCJJ leader. Yep. When he, he, and he understands this concept. When he would arrest people who had mental health issues, he didn't take them to jail. He took them to a light jail and let them have this yep. time to work through the problems. They had social workers there. They had detox people. And I, I'm glad that Spencer pointed into that position. That's a big deal. That, it is a big it, deal. You know, the, the Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice, they, they – Typically, there's not a lot of empathy on the law enforcement right. side. You right. have, you know, they're almost like different silos, the, the state's agency on, on criminal and juvenile justice versus those on the ground that are really trying to protect the peace and, right. and, 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 and enforce public safety. To have a bountiful, former Bountiful Chief of Police, Tom Ross, who was the president of the Chiefs of Police, right. and I worked with very closely on issues when I, when I served, to have his empathy and his understanding on both sides now, uh, that is an incredibly it is a important win-win for everybody. It really is, and, and so I, I'm I'm happy to see him there. And I do think that some of these reforms or some of these things that we're talking about are going to be done in the right spirit, given right. that perspective. But for defunding, absolutely not. No. And the biggest mistake I, I I say on elected officials in in Salt Lake was to take that five million out, and that five million should have been put back into social workers, uh, you know, uh, train. Uh, the dog keepers, whatever those are. Um, but to d- take that money out, what a message it sent to criminals. You know, if I keep yeah. doing these protests and I keep doing this and that, maybe we'll get it all defunded. And, yeah. and yeah. I, our, our society is based on law and order. Now, yeah, did the police, have there been things that have been wrong? Yeah, at IBM, where I was, I had salespeople who did things wrong. I, I mean, we've probably all done something that we wish we hadn't of. There's bad apples in every industry. Thank you, yeah. Heidi. Thank you. And that's exactly it. But on the most part, I think our public safety officers, the ones I've known, the ones Greg's known, because we've been pretty much like-minded on these people, they're good people, and they want to serve. They want to do the best. It's bit. true. And, and look, this, this, you, you, you pointed, Scott, to this, this national narrative that we're seeing, that where, whether it's defund the police or this, this narrative that the law enforcement can be our, or they are the enemy or they could be the enemy – I mean, I'm telling you, I'm on the side of I need public safety and, yeah. and, and just because that's how your kids get to school. That's how you have businesses open. That's how yeah. life goes. You need the stability of a safe uh, community and society. This year, we have over 80 bills <laughs> that are looking to be very prescriptive about how law enforcement will do their move, job, how they will get up off of a chair, how they'll do anything. It is a it is an avalanche of bills that reflect kind of the national narrative we're in and even in our state. So what I'll tell you is that, that Speaker Wilson, uh, he did a press conference or de- let, uh, put out a press release stating three very important bills that, that involve uh, in, uh, reform in law enforcement that he is supporting. And as I look, even the law enforcement community is getting behind these. 
16 out of 40 hours that are annual yeah. training yeah. or for ment- behavioral yeah. health behavioral and health. how to de-escalate yeah. right. some of these situations right. going on that are emerging right now, which is, which right. is rock solid right. and we can all get and rally behind. There's the other issues are the, um, uh, the misuse of evidence or yeah. if there's, if there are things are happening where law enforcement is acting outside of their role in public safety and they're doing there, the, again, I'm, I'm pointing to the tragedy that happened at the U. Sure. But there's, there was evidence there, and it was, it was passed sure. along. To, uh, those things cannot happen, and there needs to be a, a particular focus on making sure that, you know, things like that aren't being abused. And so there's that support. And then the other one was the, um, uh, oh, the data. So making sure. See, one of the things that's tough in, in, in when we talk about criminal, the criminal justice system is that just because you don't count it doesn't mean it's not happening, or just because you're not measuring? They need to be tracking that, it statewide. Yes, yeah. the data piece in law enforcement and public safety has to get better, has to be more robust. And so there's a law, there's a bill looking to do that. Those those bill sponsors on those three bills have done their work. They've gone and interfaced with law enforcement. They have support from within the industry, within the law enforcement uh, community. You have political support, but of the 84. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of them that don't go through that the, that and process, and then that's where the accumulative see, uh, effect happens, well, and we got to be unintended, very careful. Unintended consequences. Yes. Uh, I do like the, the bill about canine handling and to make sure that that's uh, responsible. But when you talk about data, Heidi, this is really critical. Greg and I have been on the same page to go in and c- get that data for homeless. We, we, you know, how they measure things in a homeless shelter is based upon the number of sanitary kits they pass on, the, the number of beds that they have filled, all of those type of things. So it is in public safety. We need that data to make sure we have measurable outcomes so we know where the problems are. And standardize. We've been and doing some stories on that, too, here at KUTV, where you're like, how many murders happened in the state of Utah? That was Let's a great question year. that night. And the question is, we don't know because we're not tracking it. And I'm just thinking, we all have a smartphone in our hand at a computer. How are we at the point where we're not compiling this data and so i think a lot of it is accountability keeping up with what we need to and then realizing too that our police officers they fill a lot of roles and we have to be careful probably about yeah, they do. every rule and how they do their jobs because we want them to be accountable we want them to be living up to the yep. standards we hope and then we also have to realize that we're giving them a lot of jobs to do and they're not going to do them all perfectly unless we give them the help they need i love that interview that you guys did with uh, commissioner anderson and he said I don't know how many murders are because the way they report up, we, we don't get the data on time. We don't ever know. Yeah. That was probably one of the best in-depth interviews I have ever seen about the issue. And everybody how should can be you address If you're not measuring uh, in, in, a, in any kind that's of it. adequate way, that's how it. can you address something that's critical and should be a priority if you can't measure it? And if you can't measure what's actually happening? It's a, these are, I've been surprised in some of the more foundational data points that you would think would be so readily available to make decisions as a policymaker or even as a citizen advocate. Many of those data points are well, not available, which it, it, mm-hmm. it should be worried simple. about. Uh, and to all of our listeners, when Heidi Hatch became the new anchor, the ratings went up. And so they were able to, <laughs> they to measured charge it. more. They right. measured. Right. Uh, I, I bet you we she gets measure measured every, every single That's right. day of every episode of everything you have. We do. And yeah. actually, if you want to know what the ratings were yesterday, I watched my show specifically at 5, 6, and 10 p.m. We were number one at 5, 6, and not at 10 p.m. And I know tomorrow or tonight I'm going to work harder. And But that's my what? point. Make sure Heidi, that that's my. That's yeah. How would you like to work? Knowing that, that's what you do. Yeah. How would you like to work for an organization that never measures you? You're going to go, 
Oh, uh, yeah, I might show up to work on yeah. time. I might not. Knowledge I mean, is power. Exactly. It really is. It, exactly. Really is. it really is. And I should say those were the full rating household numbers. The demos 25 to 54 won't come out till tomorrow. So hopefully 25 you to 54 year Scott? Yeah, like, she's, she's, she's a computer over here. She's I was like, just going to say, well, well, who's watching? That's who's the general watching? household. The 25 to 54 data. That's who we sell to. So, well, we want everyone to watch. It's really but all about those people. Buying in that power. But, yes. but think about what if you were the police chief wouldn't you want to have that every day absolutely, every day absolutely. and if you were the homeless uh, director yeah. uh, the homeless leader i mean you'd want all of that so you know you would uh, want all that because you'd either, make a phenomenal homeless director you a, a, amen you and would. you'd be, have accountability yep. not me not no. me no not me i'm not no 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 no, no. I, I gotta correct that for the record no i have no interest yeah. we are shopping for someone hey we are almost out of time but okay. there was one issue i want to talk about because we have scott with us here today uh, the Dixie name change. A uh, lot of people are talking about this, saying leave it alone. Dixie is the southern part of Utah, and it's okay. It's been our name forever. Scott, you said you went there and played football. I did. Uh, do we need to change the name? Is it? Have we come to a point in society where it's time to walk away from the word Dixie, or is it okay? Well, I, I can tell you there's t- and there's two good arguments. If you look at the uh, culture down there of the senior citizens, this is their heritage. This is their life. So yeah. I acknowledge that. I, I believe that. But on the other hand, the data that we had from Cicero was overwhelming from every group of individuals you could ever survey, from employers, from uh, professors, from community leaders. Uh, alumni, uh, new students, I mean, it went on and on, overwhelming, and racism. And I'll just go with Elder Oaks' word, and racism. And this is a part of it. And whether we like it or not, or we think it's counterculture, or we don't think it is, uh, I can tell you that we have to end that. And there's so many great names you could have for that university that would reflect where it is. It's actually a technology leader now. So they, give me your name. What would you call it? Well, I, I, I haven't picked any, but some of the that I've heard is Red Rock University, Majestic Zion University, um, uh, just... Uh, I want sun- them to be the Red Devils. The- <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So, but I, I just think it's, it's time and it's something we need to do. And, and again, I completely acknowledge the, the sentiment of that community down there. But when you have students come back and say, can I just put down DSU and not put Dixie State University... That's a telltelling sign on the resumes of when yeah. they go to. So, so I, I'll tell you, I will defer to some degree to an alum. I mean, you went there, so yeah. I. And and but the, but my point is this: to the alum, alumni, to the people that have lived in that community, you have the word Dixie across the Red Rock in that town. I don't know if they're going to go, you know, no, sandblast that off or what's no, going to happen next. No, the big D will stay. The big so, D will stay. So, but what what I would say is this: the timing of the the world I, we live yeah, in right now. Yeah. It could be easily confused with yeah. the, with this, you know, with our tearing down of, of you know our founding fathers' and statues, statues and the and all the other new narratives where we're holding our history to what we see the world as today. And I just what I would either like to weather that storm and have this thoughtful discussion because I, I think there are very valid points that have been made, but in the climate we're in, I think that it's easy for some to fear that they are getting caught up in that in that movement. Uh, but at the end of the day, Scott, I would, I would, I think it's best for the people in Utah to look to those that are alumni who have that degree that have to, you know, whether it's to an employer or where they tell people that you know they got their education from, but from the community as well that lives there and how yeah. they feel. And I think that as long as that's a that is a, a name change or a decision made 
from those that it most directly impacts or affects or that they're that, that it's part been part of their lives that's where you want that decision made what you'd hate to see is someone that is detached from any of that uh attached sentiment that that, that the community doesn't feel uh that they either if they don't like it they must be racist if they do like it yeah. then they're then they do they're not racist i just think that's that's kind of the the politics of it that I hate to see happening right now, and that's uh, so I just love it to be a homegrown decision, whatever uh, way they want to go. That's the Greg use that's so thoughtful, Heidi. I mean, think about that conversation when he are just too said. Agreeable <laughs> well, no, no, we're, we're, we're not because uh, I mean, at the end of the day, let's just rip off the scab and get this done and move on. Yeah, because we have studied it uh, over years. But uh, what Greg said, it, it, you have to acknowledge that these people have, this is their life. And I had a woman call me and say, well, my, uh, my daughter's named Dixie, so do I have to change your name? And I said, well, my aunt's name is Dixie, too. And we just love her, and we never think about that. But you have that emotional appeal yeah. that goes on. So I, I hope they'll pass it. I yeah. hope we can move on. Yeah. I hope Congress well. can get along like you two. Because really, if we could just sit down and talk issues and stop trying to wear an R or D on our chest and like be team this or team that, I feel like there's more common ground out there, don't you think? It is a secret of public policy. Uh, Scott Howe was a was Democrat um, minority leader in the Senate. I was I was a, a leader in the House, and I'll tell you that if you look at most bills that are being run, sessions going on right now, they pass bipartisan supermajority. Most bills do. Uh, you have controversial bills, but most of them, if the lawmaker is doing their work. They don't fit neatly in a, in a respective political party's platform. They're, it's just policy and problem solving. That's what you'd like to see more in Washington, D.C. And it does happen in our state all the time. Yeah, we, do, we spend more time and attention on the things we don't agree on. But, right. but just know the underlying work that's being done on behalf of the people. I would argue whether it's your legislature, your city councils, uh, your county commissions or councils, I, I think that work happens every day. Heidi, I think it's, it can be summed up really easy. Common sense. And most people are either a center-left or center-right. They're not the extreme. Uh, but, you know, that's part of a democracy. Heidi, isn't that so different than when Debacus is here? He's just like <laughs> throwing – he's got like a cricket bat in here just swinging it at me, you know? It's just the like so is, different. Is, I think Jim is a lot more centrist than he likes to make people think he is I, he, he is. He is. <laughs> Trust yep. me. Yep. He is. And, and, and from a business perspective – Oh, yeah, don't tread on his business or uh, <laughs> yeah. cut his revenues or he knows how the world works. Let's just pick on Jim. That's an awesome topic. <laughs> like, That's what I love. Give us one of your vacation homes. Jim, yeah, exactly. We're holding you for a Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, thank you, everyone, for hanging out, making Fridays fun again, talking politics. Is politics fun? It can be, right? Yes. Right. yes. And, and productive, too. And, and honorable. Heidi, yeah, and honorable. And thank you for hosting. And what a delight uh, to be with you. And I say this with all sincerity. You and Rod were some of the best moderators. I've been on the debate commission f from its beginning. And um, that really was, it, it, it set a new bar for us, and we needed to have that. So thank you. Well, thank you for your help, and thank you for the kind compliments heading into this weekend, making me feel all perky and happy. Thanks for <laughs> being with us. Tell your friends to give out the podcast and subscribe.